Heavenly Father, thank you for your care for us. And no one has cared for us like your son, the Lord Jesus. And Father, you care for us all day long and all night long. And you provide all our needs. Thank you, Father. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for the way you cared for our souls. And you sent your son to die in our place to cleanse us from our sin. Father, we pray for those who are sick and afflicted in our midst. Pray for healing for all these that we have mentioned, if it be your will. And Father, continue to give your grace and strength, Lord, to each one and the loved ones who are standing by. Father, seeking to encourage and to help. Father, we know that your way is perfect. And now, bless our time together, I ask, Lord, as we look into your word once again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Esther tonight again. We're continuing our series here, this tremendous book. And as you recall, if you were with us last Sunday night, we looked at chapter 1. And we began the story, uh, and we saw how, again, this is a historical book, but yet it's, it gives us a picture of the sovereignty of God in control of all things, both great and small, nations and individuals. But this concerns, of course, the story will center around the Jewish nation who are in captivity And we discussed that some of the nation had been sent back by the Persians. They were allowed to go back into the land and rebuild the temple and the city. But some of them remained in Persia. And so there was a a large uh, remnant of Jews still in Persia. And uh, and so it was uh, the capital, of course, is we found out was Susa. And the king at this time is King Azarus. We also know him in history as King Xerxes. But we, we saw how he had prepared a big feast uh, with many uh, of his commanders and officers. And, and, uh, and he, it was, of course, a men's banquet. And he wanted to show off his wife, Vashti. And so... That's what he tried to do. He sent someone to go get his wife, who at the time, if you, you recall, was also having uh, a ladies' banquet. She was hosting her own banquet. Well, the messenger came, told Vashti, uh, the king wants you right away. You, you need to go over there. He wants to show you off, and he's so proud of you. Well, you recall, she said, no way. She said no to her husband, and uh, that caused great trouble. It got back to him, and according to the, uh, his, of course, the king had his uh, wise men around him, and he turned to them and asked, what do we do? What do I do? My wife, the queen, just said no to me, you know. What, how am I going to handle this? What a bad situation, because all the other women 
in Persia would be able to say, hey, the queen said no to her husband, so can we. And so they, they told him that according to the Medo-Persia law, uh, that she would have to be banished. And so that's exactly what he finally had to do. Uh, and so she, he, she was dismissed from his presence, never to see her again. So this is where we pick up uh, chapter 2, okay? So look with me at verses 1 through 4. Esther 2, verses 1 through 4. After these things, and this is the dismissal of his wife, the queen. Now there's no queen. After these things, when the anger of King Azarus had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Now that first verse right there, what does that tell you? about the king he's having second thoughts all of a sudden he's starting to think of the wife the beautiful wife that he loved that he is now gone and no doubt he's thinking how in the world can i get her back and of course the uh the wise men and the princes and those uh attendants of the king uh, they knew that the king could probably change the law or make a new law and bring her back Now, they certainly didn't want Vashti back because they were the ones that pushed this law on the king, told him, yeah, you've got to do this. You've got to get rid of your your wife, the queen. And so if she had been let back into the kingdom, no doubt heads would roll. And so, uh, so, you know, the king is not angry anymore, but his heart is softened. He's thinking about his dear wife. Then verse 2. Then the king's attendants who served him came up with this idea. No, don't bring Vastai back. Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. And let the king appoint overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to Susa the capital, to the harem, into the custody of Haggai the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given them. Did you know there were cosmetics back then, ladies? How about that? Yeah, so, oh, cosmetics go way back. And so, uh, basically, the men are coming to the king and saying, uh, uh, why don't you bring some of the most beautiful virgins around those that have never been, been married, and choose one of them. And, uh, and, and let them be, make themselves up first to look presentable to you first. Verse 4. Then let the young lady who pleases the king be queen in place of Vastai. And the matter pleased the king, and he did accordingly. So, all of a sudden, his mind flip they got his attention and now he's thinking wow a brand new bride to pick from a beautiful bride uh you know i kind of like this idea and so here was the first beauty pageant in history miss persia beauty pageant and they are going to look for a wife to be queen of course and to 
to reign with the king. And so we'll pick it up now at verse 5 through 7. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the capital, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimi, uh, Shimi, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with uh, uh, Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. And so here we are introduced first to this man, this Jew named Mordecai. Okay. And again, it mentions the exile. He had been taken into exile when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah. And remember, he came and took Judah back. Assyria uh, had come and taken the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, into captivity earlier. So this, these were all tribes from Judah, those from the tribes of Judah who came and, and were captives. And so Mordecai was one of them. And now we are presented for the first time a, a young woman named Esther. Verse 7, and he was bringing up Hadashah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Here we are finally introduced to Esther. Notice the other name, uh, 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 Hadashah. Do you see that? Verse 7, he was bringing up Hadashah. That is her original Hebrew name given to her as a baby. Her parents gave her that name. And that name means myrtle, a flower. But then she is called now Esther, which is her Persian name that it was given to her. Does anybody, I'm sure maybe it's in your notes and you already read it. Does anybody remember what the name Esther means? Yes. Thank you, Dave. Star. Yes, it means a star. So uh, here, here is Esther, who is going to be the star of the story, you might say. And here she's going to be at the center of it all, this little orphan girl. And here God has a plan for her life. She was a young lady. And you can only imagine, she being an orphan, what it must have been like. A little girl who must have cried and cried after her parents died. So she's an orphan, who's she going to live with? Who's she going to take care of? And her cousin, this man Mordecai, says, I will take you in as my daughter. So she's adopted by him. And we see something here. As we see where she came from, and I think this is how we can apply it to our own lives, that it doesn't matter what, where we come from, what our background, background is, how bad a, a life we've had. 
God has a plan and purpose for each one of us. Just like he did this little orphan girl. Of all people, nobody would think that anything would become of this little Jewish orphan girl. But God did. And God had his eye on her and had chosen her saying, this is the one I'm going to use. She had no idea. As a child growing up, she had no idea how God was going to take her and use her. All she felt was the pain. She was a Jew and her parents dead and everything bad. And I know many of you can look back on your life and you can see some of the the past sorrows and the heartaches and maybe the things you you were brought out of, family problems and and family crisis and and maybe not a good upbringing. And, And you've been trying to deal with the past and it's been so hard. Take encouragement tonight that God had a plan for your life from the very beginning and he has one now for the rest of your life until he comes again. Until Jesus comes again, he has a purpose and plan for you. As long as you and I have breath, we must remember God wants to use me, that I am being used somehow, some way. I may not even see it, but I have to believe that God has me here for a purpose, and he continues to use me. That may, one purpose may be just to be a prayer warrior. We have so many in our church that are prayer warriors. And someone maybe who can't get out and minister in any other way, but at home, there, in the quietness of their bedroom, they pray, they pray, they pray for the people in our church, for those who are hurting and suffering. There is a ministry and maybe that, that individual doesn't really think of it as, as a ministry, but God's using it and that in person, and he has a plan for each one of our lives. So we see, we're going to see God's hand here as this young Jewish girl is going to now come on the scene, and now we pick it up at verse 8. So it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard, and many young ladies were gathered to Susa, the capital, into the custody of Haggai, that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. Verse 9, Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him, So he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace, and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. All of a sudden, she is this unknown little Jewish uh, young lady who suddenly is put is starting to be put into a place of prominence. And suddenly, uh, this, this Haggai, the, the eunuch who's in charge of, of the harem, notice beginning of verse 9, now the young lady pleased him and found 
favor with him. Favor with him. Can you recall another story in the Old Testament where you read that, that phrase and, they, he, and the, the officer found favor in him? Or your favor was, was, was placed upon him by someone? Yes, thank you. I heard it. Joseph. Yes, remember, wherever Joseph was placed, whether it be in prison or elsewhere, before he ever be, became the right hand of Pharaoh, what was God doing in Joseph's life? God was favoring him. God was favoring him because he had, uh, he, he had a place to put him, a plan to bring Joseph to a certain place uh, where God would be glorified and would, uh, would, it would save his people, Israel. And so when I see that word, anytime I see that word in the Old Testament, I think of Joseph. So here, it's just like Joseph. So who caused this, <clears throat> this eunuch to have favor upon Esther? Who did that? God, of course. The Lord God caused him to show favor. And isn't this, this is uh, wonderful when you bring it down to a personal level. <clears throat> How many of you recall a time when you uh, interviewed for a job and you were going for that job and, uh, and you didn't know if you'd get it, but whoever you were interviewing they liked you. And suddenly they said, I'd like you to come back for a second interview. Now, I don't know how many interviews. Some people have three or four before they get that position. But that time when they chose you, and then perhaps during that time you were with that company, you found favor in the eyes of the boss. Now, of course, sometimes it can be the reverse. Um, you know, you don't get noticed or anything, but many times this will happen where God will cause a, one of his children to receive favor in a, in, in a job or in a, a place where God wants them to be used and to shine for him and for his glory. So she receives favor from him. Verse 10. Look at verse 10. Esther did not make known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. In other words, he, said, he told her, we got to keep this a secret that you're a Jew. There is no way that you're going to find favor. Or, you know, you'll probably be killed if they find out that you're a Jew. So that this was hidden. This was kept secret, Mordecai, and of course Esther did not make it known then. I love verse, verse 11. And every day Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. Now this walking back and forth, it's like he's, he's acting like he's someone that doesn't care. And, and so you can imagine he, he's going by, you know, he, he, cause everybody knows that he's the father of Esther who's in the harem. So he's allowed to be in the area. So he's walking by and just, you know, 
Mm. You know, trying to look for Esther. Yeah, what a beautiful day it is. You know, to look in there. Do I, do I see her? Yep, she seems to be doing okay. And, you know, just strolling by. That word has the idea of strolling by. Trying not to be conspicuous. But he wants to know how she is. Of course, he's concerned about her welfare here. Now, verses 12 through 14. Now, when the turn of each young lady came to go, now when the turn of each young lady came to go into King Hazarus, after the end of her 12 months under regulations for the woman, for the days of their beautification were completed as follows. Six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and the cosmetics for women. How about that? Ladies, how would you like to have a makeup done for a year? Yeah, husbands, there's a good Christmas idea. <clears throat> you know, you could get, get next Christmas, give her a year's worth of, of going to the beauty parlor. Something like that, right? But, yeah. oh, I saw that, Becky. Thumbs up. Yeah, all right, all right. But, but here, can you imagine? I mean, talk about prepping the women for the king. They, they would, you know, bathe them in these, these oils and everything else so that their skin was beautiful, and they would just be so presentable to the king. And the king, uh, and, and they'd be all dolled up for the king <clears throat> so that he would be, uh, be pleased with what he saw. And again, if you look back at verse 7, remember what it said about her. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face. So God had made Esther a beautiful woman on the outside, but we know he was working with her on the inside. And how important that this is a reminder to us of, again, not to get wrapped up on the outward appearance. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16 with me. Let's go over to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Now, God is leading Samuel to find the next king after Saul. Verse 1 of 1 Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So it's a cover-up. And verse 3, And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you should do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? And he said, In peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. 
Then it came about when they entered that he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Well, here, here he is, Eliab. He's got to be the guy, the, the tallest, the oldest. He's the one. He, he looks kingly. Samuel's thinking, oh, he's got to be the one. Surely this is the one, you know. And so what is Samuel doing? He's making judgment on appearance. But then we have this tremendous verse and what God said in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. He's not, he's not talking about when he uses the word rejection of because he's a sinful man and in that kind of rejection. No, he's just rejecting, which means saying, he's not the one I've chosen. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Oh, that we might be the same. That we might not be wrapped up in the superficial, the outward appearance of things, but that we might look at, the, at, at folks and you can usually sense their heart when you speak to them or you see the way they're acting, the way they're living, the things they say. You can tell they are spirit-filled and that they are walking closely with the Lord. Oh, that the Lord might, might keep us from exalting those who are uh, are, if we feel should be exalted just because of their, their talents or their, their outward appearance. So I just wanted to point that out because here Esther is being judged by her outward appearance only. So go back with me to Esther chapter 2 if you would. If we go back there and pick it up at verse 13. The young lady would go in to the king in this way anything that she desired was given to her uh, given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace in the evening she would go in and in the morning she would return to the second harem to the custody of Shazgaz the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines she would not again go into the king unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. So again, we know that uh, it being a harem and these are concubines that he basically uh, not only will look on the outward beauty, but uh, he takes them, he beds, takes them to bed with him. And so we come to Esther now, who, is the, who now is going to, uh, to, to be presented to the king. Verse 15. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abigail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, came to go into the king, she did not request anything except what Haggai, the king, king's eunuch, who was in charge of the woman, advised. And here it is. Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. 
She was like a magnet, and everybody found favor. Everybody wanted to do anything they could for Esther. And then, verse 16, So Esther was then taken to King Ahasuerus, to his royal palace in the tenth month, which is in the month Tebeth, in the seventh month of his reign. Verse 17, And the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins. So that what? He set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his princes, his servants. He also made a holiday for the provinces and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. Basically, what we're seeing here is kind of love at first sight. It was love at first sight for the, for the king. Verse 17, she was taken to the king. The king loved Esther more than all the other women and found favor and kindness. Key word is kindness with him more than all the other virgins. Now, we do not know whether or not she slept with the king. But I do want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 7 with me. And see what the law says here concerning marrying a pagan. Deuteronomy 7 verse 1. When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you are entering to possess it and shall clear away many nations before you, the Hittites, the uh, the Jergesites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, you shall defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Verse 3, furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will quickly destroy you. Here it is in the law of Moses absolutely clear and she knew the law no intermarrying with pagans which would be the persian king he's not a jew therefore according to the law she's not allowed to marry him and yet she she did she acted differently do you recall we want time to turn to it but you recall in daniel chapter one daniel shadrach meshach and abednego when the, the king wanted to bring, you know, the finest foods and everything and, and give them the best of everything, uh, they, they said, no, we're, just, we're not going to eat the king's food. We're just going to uh, eat vegetables, and we, we should be fine. And they, they couldn't believe it. And, and so they, they, they would not 
uh, they would not defile themselves with the king's food. And so, therefore, they, they began to eat uh, just vegetables, and everybody thought, well, they're going to die, you know, because there's nothing in vegetables, protein, that would, would keep them going, keep their strength up, or have them put weight on and look healthy, but we know what happened, right? They looked healthier than the people that were eating the king's meats and dinners. But Daniel and those men, those young men, they obeyed the law of the Lord, and they did not compromise. Here we find that Esther compromised. Now, she was put in a position where she didn't have much say at all, you know, but she was, it was kind of like she was placed here uh, against her own will. So, some come down hard on Esther for saying, well, she should have just stood up and said, I'm a Jew. If I need to die, I'm going to die for the sake of my nation. But there was a reason why she kept silent about her, uh, her lineage, that she was a Jew. There was a reason why she did not resist the king. And God allowed her to make the certain decisions that would bring her to a place of prominence to be the queen of Persia so that he, his plan would be accomplished. And you know what I take from that is that some of the sins or things that we have done, sometimes we think, Lord, uh, I really messed up. I've sinned against you. I, I look at my past again and, and see that I, you've done the, you know, I, I've done these things against you. And I'm basically, I don't know how you can use me. But then we always have to go back to Romans 8, 28, don't we? Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So he will bring something good out of those things, those decisions we made that were wrong maybe or they were sin or or just unwise decisions and it caused us to get in trouble or things to happen, but God will bring it around if we are seeking his heart. And And that's exactly what God was planning to do here with Esther is to... He was planning everything. God was in the details of this, this, whole, this whole story. He's working with the great nation, with the great king, but he's working with a little girl who God chose to be queen one day for his purposes and for his glory. And I think sometimes we tend to forget that... Uh, you know, God is, we, we know God is the great creator of the universe, and we think of him as sometimes a distant God, so great, and how could he be concerned about me and my little problems? Well, we can see in this story of Esther that God is in the story, and God is in the details of this little girl's life all the way along. 
And he brought blessing out of calamity. When this girl should have been thrown away, God says, I'm going to use her. And I am going to bring about a blessing for my people. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are in each one of our stories. That you have a plan for each one of our lives. With the brokenness and the pain and the suffering, Lord. That you desire to heal and mend and use. Father, help us to realize, Lord, that you are in the details of our life. And that we would allow you to have your way and work in us. That you might receive all the honor and the glory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you all tonight. God bless you. You are dismissed.